Tem uma Bible. Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few texts from the book of Ephesians and also to, the, to Acts as well. So I'm just going to read a few texts. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, all the way to verse 23. If you are there, I mean, I'm sorry, I, tr- I almost, I wanted to put uh, slides, but I don't know what to put inside. So I decided, okay, never mind. I just know why that way. I was like, what am I supposed to put? I put my whole chunk of scriptures, put my whole points. I just can't do it. Untrained. Maybe I should learn from Andre and my brother. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, Paul said, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering in my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your your understanding be open that you may know the hope of His calling. Say His calling. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance? His glorious inheritance in the sense. Say His glorious inheritance. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Say His power. Towards us, who, towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rules and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And Him, and He put all things under His feet and gave Him as a head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of him who fails all in all. Just read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9, all the way to verse 5. Nope, sorry, that's the wrong verse. In verse 9 to verse 15. Yes, or verse 13. This is what it says, Paul said to the church, in saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower region, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, say we all, Attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to what? To the mature manhood, to the, me- to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Say the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature of the fullness of Christ. Say that. That all of us will grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Before I go into the, to talk about the prayer, I just want to set some context about this prayer. I pray this prayer a lot because I sit in a prayer room for six months praying the same prayer every day. It's like, it's like a perpetual uh, 
meditation that I did whenever I go to the prayer room, whether it's in Burning Hearts or even in, in Kansas City five years ago. This is the predominant prayer that they taught us to pray. They call it the apostolic prayer. Why is it called the apostolic prayer? Because Paul prayed it. <laughs> this is the prayer that Paul, Apostle Paul himself prayed for the church. And you know what, guys? This is a prayer for you. Not just for you, but it's a prayer that you can pray for yourself and for the church and for the people beside you. And in order for us to have clarity and understanding of the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, we have to know the heart of the author and the context of the epistle. I just want to talk a little bit about Paul. For the past few for the past one week, I've been reading about him and I, I was growing fond with this man. I want you to just turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19 to the very point of his journey, the beginning of his journey. And I believe that very beginning of his journey is the very reason why he made this prayer for the church. Acts chapter 19. Is it Acts chapter 19? No, Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus. And just stick with me to verse 3 to verse 5, all right? This is the part where it says, Now as he went on his way, you must understand Paul, Saul, before he became a Paul, he's a persecutor of the church. He goes around killing Christians. And he went around on his way to the road to Damascus to continue to just persecute and to kill Christians and suddenly a light from above began to shone around him and, a falling, and him falling to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then the very interesting reply of Saul is this, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting me. You see, I believe when at a point of time when Paul encountered the living Christ, the risen Savior to the road to Damascus, it was an illumination of God's calling, desires, and power in his life. It was at the point of his conversion from a persecutor of the church to one that God has destined to be the chief architect of the builder of the early church. One that used to destroy the church, transform into one that became the architect and the builder of the church. The very bright light might have blinded his physical eyes, but the eyes of his understanding were open. I believe Paul saw something in the spirit that opened up his eyes to recognize Jesus as Lord. <laughs> he used to kill Christians and then he said, Who are you, Lord? His first encounter with him, that dramatic encounter, made him articulate something that he don't even understand. Lord. And not just that, but he also had a revelation of the body of Christ. You have to understand, when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He did not say, Saul, Saul, why are you killing Christians? Why are you killing the Nazarene? Why are you persecuting the church? But Jesus himself acquainted himself with the church and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, this is a mystery. It's the, called the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's something about the church and the body of Christ. In the words of Paul in that prayer, he says that we are the fullness of Christ on, expressed on the earth. We are Christ himself being displayed and shown onto the earth. 
We carry the fullness of God Himself, and our role here on the earth is to grow from glory to glory to mature into the fullness of His stature so that His glory may be seen across the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the mystery of Christ and the church that He in us, that is the hope of glory. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Imagine thinking, did I? I just kill Christians. Yeah, killing him, you are killing me. Because they are my body. I believe these are the two truths. These two truths were the foundations of his apostolic ministry in his effort of establishing the saints and the church of Jesus Christ. These are the two truths. The Lordship of Christ and the body of Christ being the full expression of Jesus on the earth. This is the two main truths of Paul's apostolic ministry that he wants to lay as a foundation, that Christ is the head of the church, He is our Lord, and not just that, we are the fullness of His expression on the earth to manifest Him to a world that has not known Him. This is our role, guys. You see, the body have to express rightly the mind, the soul, the heart of our head. I mean, basically, imagine I got a head. I got a head, and my head, my brain is telling my body to do this. The reason why I do and live what I do, what I do is because the head is telling my body to express what I feel, what I think, what I, how I should live. This is what the body is supposed to do. We are to express the very mind and the knowledge and the heart and the soul of Christ Himself on the earth. (laughs) And that's why we need to bring ourselves to an alignment to Him and to an agreement with Him. So that's a little context of Paul. But I want to talk about the context of the epistles. You have to understand the book of Ephesians this particular book, the book of Ephesians, to the scholars, they call it the Rolls Royce of all epistles. <laughs> Some call it the crown of Paulinism. What is that? Basically, the writings of Paul. It is the crown, the crux, the very glory, the, the tip, the very richest, the richest thing that Paul has ever wrote in his life in his epistles to the church. This is like the, the very treasure and it was Paul's final, final words to the church he loved dearly. He wrote this in his dungeon in Rome prior to his execution, as well as this is the church that he spent his life for three years, teaching and discipling them. And that's why when you read the book of Ephesians, it contains language that is not earthly. Why? Because he's talking to a bunch of mature Christians. The, the church of Ephesus are a group of Christians who are mature, who understand spiritual things and deep mysteries of Christ. And Paul writes in a language, in a way that he's telling them, guys, there's something more for you to pursue that you have to understand that you are the very fullness of Christ on the earth and you are to grow into the fullness of His stature. And then His glory will be shown in and through you. Everything in heaven will be manifest on the earth through the body. 
So you see words like chosen, predestined, seal, age to come, riches of his glory, mysteries of his will, fullness of God. Some of these words is like, what? Can you explain to me glory, what even glory is? We talk so much about the glory of God. What on earth is this? <laughs> People fight over predestination. <laughs> exactly. These are, the, these are a bunch of Christians who don't just quote John 3.16 only. <laughs> they actually understood the mysteries of God and they subject themselves to His will for their lives. So historically, efficient, the church of Ephesus was a phenomenal church. In fact, if you read in the account of Acts, that this church, this church made an, a, an impact in Ephesus so much so what it used to be known as in, 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 in Ephesus, the city that's known for spirituality, for temples. They even have the seventh wonder of the world. It's called the Temple of Artemis, where they have idols as huge as, don't know how tall, of goddess. They have many breasts. This is a goddess of fertility. Yeah. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a city that's filled with sexual immorality, perverse doctrine and, th- and, and philosophy, magic practices, this is a highly spiritual city. Not until when Paul showed up. And he showed up with just a bunch of 12 disciples, the 12 followers of Jesus, discipled by this man called Apollos. And then he basically teach them about Christ, baptize them in the Spirit, and then things begin to happen. The entire city was turned upside down. Paul and his hanky was turning the city of Ephesus upside down. You know Paul and his hanky? You know what his hanky does? Whenever he takes his handkerchief, his handkerchief and his apron was healing the sick. Demons were being casted and oppressed by the Holy Spirit. The church of Ephesus were like raging and invading the gates of hell and the gates of hell did not prevail. In fact, it, it causes demons to manifest and there were riots and resistance towards the church. But you know what? In Acts chapter 19 verse 20, this is what it says, but the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily despite of the resistance. Unstoppable. This is a a sign of an unstoppable church. When resistance comes, we prevail anyway. The word of the Lord still increase. The acts of God still begin to explode every part of the city. The apostles and the disciples were preaching the gospel with boldness and full of the Holy Spirit. They can't stop them. Not even by killing them. And you know what, guys? The church in Ephesus was the the very embodiment of Christ on the earth, turning cities upside down the same way that Jesus did when he was on the earth. I believe in this context, Paul, the apostle that all of us adore, a man who lived in a different plane, all in all. He's like a nun. There's no Christian like Paul. It's like we all wish to be like this man. And having this man, the apostle, who lived on a different plane, it is chained. His, he penned down his life in the spirit. And not just that, but he made known to the church of his intimate prayer life with his father and with Christ. And he prayed without ceasing for the church, including himself, and with this one goal in mind, is to see the body of Christ step into the full stature so that the church can reveal the fullness and the glory of God on the earth. 
and that Jesus may receive the reward of his suffering. And I believe the secret to his life and the key to see a spiritual awakening in the church stepping into the fullness is by the prayer that he made in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 all the way to verse 23. But before we jump right in, I, I, tell, I know all of us are eager to jump into that prayer because I am eager too, but I just want to set, I just want to hang the carrot before you and say, you know what, guys? There's something so much more to this prayer. It's more than just a, oh, God, give me spirit, wisdom, and revelation. Ta-da! And then you become sane overnight. But there is something deep behind this prayer. And before we dive into the apostolic prayer, there's actually a preface to it. Is it called preface or preface? A preface to it. Paul's opening address of the letter was make known to the church, but was to make known to the church the spiritual blessings in heaven. This is the way Paul enter, open the letter by addressing and letting the church know, guys, there is a spiritual blessing in heaven awaiting for us that is made available for us. It was through Christ's death and the resurrection that these heavenly and spiritual blessings are hidden in Christ and they are now made available for us to search it out. These spiritual blessings are eternal, they are permanent, they are worth more than any earthly blessing that you can ever obtain, and these blessings are irrevocable and God has reserved them for those who are found in Christ and making them as inheritance for the saints. The blessed, the spiritual blessings that God purchased through Christ for you, these are your inheritance. And it's all found and hidden in Christ. And it's for us believers to search it out and to step into it. I can give you some of the, of the, of the spiritual blessings. You can read them in verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And I just put them in points. The blessings and, inherit, and, and inheritance includes our adoption into the family of God, of God through Christ. Sons and daughters, this is what we have. What will be a holy and a blameless life. His glorious grace. His, redem his redemption and His forgiveness of sin. His wisdom and insight to know mysteries of His will for us in this age and the age to come. These are blessings. The restoration of all things in the fullness of time. Whenever you read the word fullness of time, the context of time only makes sense in this present age. Because God don't live in time. He only lives in a space called eternity. The only way, when the Bible says fullness of time, He's always talking about this current age where we are living before we cross over to eternity. He said He's going to give us the restoration of all things in the fullness of time. Not just that, the counsel of His will, truth, our hope in Christ, His glory, salvation, and His Holy Spirit. These are all the spiritual blessings that God has purchased and redeemed for us through Christ. And then he basically, after telling them these are all the riches of his blessing, guys, heavenly blessings and spiritual blessing, and therefore, for this very reason, I, Paul the Apostle, pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him.
You know, I really believe that when Paul started the prayer, he made a distinction and he made something very clear. He said this, he's telling you guys, this is who we are praying to, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of glory. And I think he's reminding us of this. He's reminding the fact that we can approach the Father of glory. He's the unapproachable light that no one could know God, but now he's made available for you to access and to look at him and to know him because of Christ's humanity and his humility that he become the display. He become the very image of the invisible, the unapproachable light, and he become the very light of the world for all of us believers, all of us humanity, to be able to see God and to know him now. He used to be unknown. God was not, no one could approach God. Even Moses could not see God face to face. He has to see him from the back of him. Why? Because he cannot see him. Until Jesus appeared, he became a man, he is the complete expression of the invisible God, and he's the light of the world. He basically radiated the light that used to be not that that we that no one could approach. And now he's making known and let all men see who the Father really is. And now he's saying, you know what, guys? This is the God that I'm praying to. He's the Father of glory. He's the one before creation. He's the one that spoke the earth into motion. He was the one that basically flinged the, the stars in the skies. He's the one that sits above the circle of the earth and he draws the heavens like, a, like we draw a curtain. He's the one that says that the earth, <laughs> the inhabitants of the earth are like grasshoppers. He's the one in Revelation 4 where he sits on that throne burning like a sardius stone and a jasper gem. And around him was majestic creatures with six wings with many different heads. Kind of look scary. Singing to him, say, holy, 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 with 24 elders with their crowns casting. This is the God who sits far above in, he in heaven and he says, when you pray this, you are praying to the Father of glory. He, he is the one who radiates an eternal light, a light that actually has power to transform, a light that actually has power to create. He is the very essence of life, the very essence of joy, very essence of love. This is the God that you are talking to. He is all-powerful. His splendor, His majesty, this is the one that you are talking to. He is like no other. <laughs> this is God. You are talking to the Father of all glory. <laughs> and what, what else he says? You are talking to him that he will give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. To basically is to do what? To know him. To see that light. To encounter him. To, um, to, to feel the emotions and the glory of God. And so that you can be transformed into that likeness. I believe the spirit of wisdom and revelation is the key to know God and to manifest His fullness in us, in the church. Do you remember the story of Peter when he was in this place called Philippi, Caesarea? And then Jesus asked the question to His disciples, Who do men say that I am? Do you remember the story? And then they say, oh yeah, they say that you are Elijah, you are one of the prophets, you are Jeremiah. And then all of a sudden, Jesus switched the question and asked P 
Peter specifically, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, all of a sudden, had this utterance that is so like, not like him. And he began to say, oh, I know who you are. You are Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus looked at him with affection. He says, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven is the one that revealed this to you. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When sometimes we think, oh, upon this rock, he's talking about, maybe upon Peter, he will build his church and then the church will not prevail. So Peter is dead now, so how? The church cannot be built anymore? I think what Jesus was trying to say is this, upon this truth, that you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know me. This is the very truth and the foundation that I will build my church and rule through this. You will basically radiate the fullness of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against the light that is coming into dark places. It is the knowledge of God, the glory of the Father, penetrating to the dark places of the earth where demons will tremble, Lies will be broken, change will be shaken, will be, will be, will be broken, Capti- captives will be set free. And through that very knowledge of God, those who know the truth, truth is not just a set of knowledge, truth is a person. His name is Christ. I just want to give you these two lines about spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? This is like nuggets. One-liner. The spirit of revelation take what is true about God and make it a reality in our spirit and our soul. It's something internal. But the spirit of, re- of wisdom manifests the reality of God through our daily living. That's external. I say that again. The spirit of revelation take what is true about God and making it a reality in our spirit and our soul. It is something that we know deep on the inside. But what happens when you have the spirit of wisdom? This is what you take what the reality is on the inside and you begin to walk out in your life and that actually manifests Christ. <laughs> you see, you cannot live with one on, you have to live with both. It's like a pair of eyes. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation. And this is the pair of eyes for you to behold and look at God. And that's how you begin to learn to do what Jesus did. I will not see and I will not say anything apart from what I see my Father is doing and saying. And the very way that Jesus exhibited His Father on the earth is the same way that we will have these two pair of eyes, the spirit of wisdom revelation, to look at God and to know what He's thinking and what He's feeling. And we begin to walk it out. And display His glory. One is internal, the other one is external. And the light from above that illuminated Paul, and he had a revelation of Christ and His church. Ever since then, Paul lived a different life. You know what? That road to Damascus changes Paul entirely. It changes the way he looked at Jesus and the church. And it changes the way he lived. He became a totally different man. <laughs> the, what the revelation that he received brings a reality of Christ as Lord, make him walk out 
his faith and his life that is worthy of him. Paul lived a life for Christ because he began to know how worthy he is and who he and because of what he received from that place, he, his entire lifestyle changed. There's no way when you encounter God and not be changed. There's no way. Unless you choose to resist him. They are like a pair of eyes in our spirit that we use to behold him as Paul encourages the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from Lord who is the Spirit. You want to become more like Jesus to manifest and radiate the, His glory like the way He radiates His Father on the earth? It's by this two thing, spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of Him, so that these eyes of your understanding may be open. It's not a set of information, but it is a reality that rests within you. It is something that no one can take away from you. Not even the knife and the persecution of, the, of, of, of people who want to take your life and ask you to deny the reality of Christ. You just cannot. Because it's so real and deeply rooted in your spirit and soul. It says, you can take my body, but you can't take my soul and my spirit. Yeah. This is the way Paul lived his life. That's why he's not afraid of persecution, suffering, trials, and temptation. So I'm just going to go to these three things. Oh man, it's 12. <sighs> I just want to talk about these three things and then I will jump. I just kind of come bring to an end. So these are the three things that God, him, that, 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 that Paul, I believe, he, and he encountered, and these are the three main areas of what he began to understand in his heart. It is the hope of his calling, which I believe is called the eternal calling that God has for us. Second thing is his, the riches of his glorious inheritance that's in the saints, God's desire towards us. There is an inheritance in you that God wants. There is an inheritance that he's, is inside of you that God wants to consume. <laughs> and not just that but the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. There is a power that is within you that death, sin, hell, demons, Satan could not resist. There is a, the same power that rested within Christ that raised Him from the dead and overcome death and sin. That same power is right here within you. God has given you an ability to not just to do miracles, signs and wonders that point to Him, but also to give you the ability to live an overcoming life that will display His glory. Signs and wonders point people to Jesus, but the, the life of an overcomer actually display the glory of God. And I believe when Paul made this prayer, he's articulating what he experienced to the road to Damascus. That light that shone, the Father of glory, that light that illuminates him, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He was blinded for a while, he, though his physical eyes was blinded, but something on the inside was awakened and his eyes were opened to see the calling that God has ordained for this man. And not just that, but the inheritance that God has in that he wants Paul more than anything else, but more than just that, 
He wants to use Paul as a, as a very, as a very emblem of his power that says, you know what? If Christ, if, if I can live this life, Christ, I want the world to know that even mere men like you, Paul, you can live it too. The same way that Christ lived on the earth. Some people say because Christ is divine. Yes, he is goodly God and fully man. But Christ may be an extreme example. But you know what? God uses a man, a broken man like Paul. And he says, Paul lived the same way as I did. The same way that Christ lived on the earth, a mere man like Paul, a persecutor of the church, a broken man, could live the same way as Christ lived. He is the very manifestation of Christ on the earth. Do you know Christ in you? I'm just going to bring a simple twist to my sermon from this juncture. We started off with Paul's conversion. Now I want to let you see this spirit of, where does this spirit of wisdom and revelation bring him to? Brought him to it at the end of his life. If you read in Acts chapter 26, after many years of ministry, traveling the earth, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, and then he was basically, he feel the time to die is here. He said, I want to die now. <laughs> he said, I want to die for Christ. <laughs> Crazy. Cuckoo already. I believe there's a reason behind it. And then he was brought to the council of the Jerusalem. They call him a heretic and they basically charge him and bring him to the court of the government. And there he stands before this king by the name of Agrippa. Yeah. And then you just turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Please bear with me. This is like my favorite part of the, of the sermon. Mm. Acts chapter 26. Go home and take time to read from verse 12 onwards. This is basically Paul himself reaccounting his very conversion in the road to Damascus. And then he finished his recount and then he basically ended with this statement. He said this, Oh, King Agrippa, in verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What vision? Remember that bright light? It's that one moment of an encounter with the risen Christ and the bright light shone at him. He caught a glimpse of the church and Christ himself. And then he basically tell all the things and then all of a sudden this man called Festus it's like he festered a lot of cockroaches or whatever. Festus, he's like, cannot take it anymore. He's festering. Okay, never mind. It's not funny. <laughs> and he said this. And, he's, and this is what he says in verse 24. And that as he, Paul, was saying all these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Cuckoo already. Your great learning is driving you mad. <laughs> what did he learn? I know he was a scholar, but if he was a scholar like the Pharisees, he would just be like the Pharisees. But there's something that he's learning that's opposite from the Pharisees. He has been learning something that is beyond what the Pharisees understood. He was peering into the light of glory and he was learning of this God that is after his heart that has 
His calling being imputed into him and one that gave him the power to live a life for him. And he was saying, I have not been disobedient to his calling in responding to what he wants from me, the inheritance that is placed within me and to live a life that is faithful in displaying his power, in overcoming everything that I need to overcome, sin, death, whatever. And then he said this, I am not out of myself. In fact, I'm rationale. He says, I'm actually normal. You are the one that's crazy. Paul lives in a reality where the world around him seems to be awkward, more awkward than the reality that he lives, which is in heaven. He walks in a different plane. The reality of heaven becomes more real to him that he's willing to live a life that is so opposite of what the earth, the, the, the earth demands him to live. <laughs> and perhaps what an when an individual starts stepping into the full stature of Christ here on the earth, they will be termed as a man who is out of his mind. The very, the very thought of Christ himself becoming a man, that in itself is out of his mind. Why would God want to become a man? <laughs> Leaving all that he has to, to put flesh on his body, to put on flesh, a garment of flesh, and walk among the earth to let the people that he came to save, and then he basically being killed by them. Jesus, you are out of your mind. You knew that you are going to be killed by these people, yet you descend yourself to become a man, to give all that you have in heaven for the sake of reaching the people that don't really love you. You're out of your mind, Jesus. <laughs> the same way, the wisdom from above to walk out the revelation of Him on the earth will lead us to a path where our Lord walked in where it seems to be foolishness to men. He who loses his life will find it. He who walks in the narrow path will find life. And at the end of the road, this is the, this is the way of the kingdom. Wow. When you begin to lose everything on this earth to gain everything, this is the full statue of Christ. That there's nothing in this world that you desire apart from Him. It's like there's nothing that He desires in heaven so that He can He, he lay it down and He come for you. So that he can have you. <laughs> I'm going to close with this. The words that Paul wrote in Philippians, it says that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I've counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes from true faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share His suffering, becoming like Him in death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection. You have to understand the journey of Paul praying that prayer of spirit of wisdom and revelation has led him to a place where he constantly looked at the surpassing excellencies of who Christ is, the knowledge of God. Everything around him seems to become worthless. Even his ministry, his effort of church planting, all his accolades and achievement in life are pale in comparison to the one that he has been looking at. And his entire life journey is this, God, I will give up everything to lay hold of everything. And isn't this like Christ? Yeah. 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 
This is my closing statement. Here you see a man who stood faithful in his hope of the calling that God has for his life in the light of eternity, knowing that the momentary affliction he suffered on the earth can never be compared to the eternal glory that God has prepared for him. He don't live his, pre- his life for the present. He lived for the future. And he's a man who stood steady in God's desire for him that he would rather give himself over to an all-consuming God and call himself a bond servant and made him his greatest treasure, completely satisfied by the riches of the glory of God. And this is the, that is eternal more than the riches of the world and the recognition they are temporal. Here you see a man who stood confident in the immeasurable greatness of his power that overcomes sin and death. He stood before kings and powers, facing death in his tribunal before Caesar, yet death has no sting. And the fear has no hold because he knew that the same power that raised Christ from the dead to the highest heaven is the same power that lives in him. He may be, he may be dead now. But he knew that there's a power that rests within him that they will come where he will raise again. He, and he says, you know what, guys? That one moment of blinding in the road to Damascus, he may be blinded. His surrounding is blinded. He could not see the things of the world as clearly, but he saw something far more. Far more. Excellent. His pursuit was to know Him and not just that, but to manifest Him on the earth. And this is Paul's effort in his apostolic ministry on the earth. This is the heart of Paul, a father of the church history. He desired the church, all of us with different gifts and our talents that God has made us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all of us ordained by God to represent Him, to carry Him, and to manifest Him on the earth. To come into the full stature of Him. You know, sometimes in in church... We are so afraid to lose. We are so afraid to give everything to God. We are so afraid to follow Him all the way, to walk that narrow path. We all all know it here. But you know, we don't really know it here. Because if you have seen who Christ is, if you have truly seen God, if you have truly encountered Him and His glory, Everything that you have on the earth will be, will, pale, will be pale in comparison to the one whom you love and whom you are following. And the only way to where we can fully manifest Christ and His glory is when we subject ourselves to His will, to His calling, to respond to the fact that we are His inheritance and we give ourselves over to Him completely and to trust in the power of God that is rested within us until we come to a place where we subject and will and put ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. That everything that He said, everything that He desired us to do, the radical obedience to the Word of God and the radical obedience to the leading of the Spirit, when He says something, you say, I will do it. 
that kind of life of following Christ that the early days church lived that makes them unstoppable because the world has nothing could hold them the, the world can't hold these guys not money, riches, wealth, reputation they just simply have this one thing in their hearts and their mind that I may gain Christ that oh, He is all that matters that He is the centre of my life and my universe He is the reason of my existence I exist because He will me to exist for His pleasure that I was made for that my life, fulfilment and satisfaction can only be found in giving everything to Him you know coming here I felt this sense of inadequacy I still feel inadequate but I just want to here to give you a piece of my heart and my life and there's nothing else worth more than to lay hold of a person who gives everything for you this is the life of Paul in summary Paul gave up everything so that he can gain everything All that we need is found in a person. And He's Christ.